This is the, the, youth, the, down youth, South down South the youth Down South Podcast, a show for youth leaders and young adults. I'm Caleb Loudon. I'm Ashley Escobar. And this is the Youth Down South Podcast, and we have Ashley Escobar returning for a second episode. Wow, and she even does uh, My own sound effects. Vivizuela, is that the, how, was that what you call that? Oh, I don't, I didn't or know I it, had a name. I think, I think that's what that is. Maybe we're, yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to go with it. Yeah, and okay. you, you bring your own sound effects to the show. We had a great episode uh, a couple weeks ago that you helped us out on, and you're helping mm-hmm. us out yet again. Yes. Okay. And here we are in this life in the month of September. Mm-hmm. Fall has begun. The has leaves it? are changing. I don't know if it's official. I never like. I always feel like it, the season starts before the official mm, date. Okay. Yeah. So I don't know if we're actually past that date whenever that gotcha. is. Gotcha. But we're going to say fall has begun. Yes. The leaves are starting to change. Mm. And the, the the climate is getting a little cooler. Okay. Yes. And fall traditions are uh, being enjoyed. Some people probably were doing their fall stuff back in July. Let's be honest. Yeah. There are those people who they for were. them, fall is like, everything yeah that's okay. me yeah um my wife kindle is that way yes you know, she's having a psl when as soon as they're available <sighs> so uh, good actually i don't think she actually likes those but she does there are certain oh. fall things that i'm well i like them don't worry yeah not they're, alone. they're so yeah. good anyway i digress but for okay so is that one of your traditions then that's what i was yes. gonna ask what's something that is like fall related that you every year it's like okay i gotta have the thing I gotta have the fall thing yeah so Definitely the pumpkin spice, uh-huh. the candles, yeah. all of that, getting too many blankets uh, uh-huh. that my husband and I will argue about. Mm-hmm. But then he'll be like, oh, I do like this blanket. And I'm like, yeah, just let me buy all the blankets. Then, you know, we got to celebrate fall yeah. accurately. And that is one of the ways. Yeah. But my favorite thing to do in the fall is to, like, when fall foliage happens and then you drive up to the mountains and you oh, see, like— yeah. Some trees have gotten with the program and some haven't. And it's just like <laughs> yeah. so beautiful. Yeah. Going like, you know, there's um the Great Smoky Great Smoky Mountain National Park. Yeah. Beautiful to drive through that during the fall. Yes. You go up that that even that far. But you don't have to go that far. You just drive no. around North Georgia in yeah. our, our neck of the woods. Yeah. But all across the south, yeah. Um, it's gorgeous. For most, for the most part, you can see some of this change. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's wonderful. And mm-hmm. I can identify, too, with certain fall foods, you know. Yeah. Whether it's um, pumpkin spice latte or uh, apple cider mm. or maybe you have an apple cider donut. Maybe you go to a corn maze with your friends or family. Oh. Yeah, so fun. And you so go and do that whole thing. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, you eat a bunch of fried food. Yes. And uh, you get lost in the corn maze and then you get angry at each other mm. and then— Eventually, after you're hot and sweaty and miserable, you find yep. your way out of that thing, and you don't regret it for a second, and you say, I'm mm-hmm. going to do this again next year. This is life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, there are all kinds of fall traditions, and so here we are in this season of fall. If you have something that you like to do every fall, then please go on our social media, comment on something. We're, we're going to put a post out there. Yeah. We've never done this before. I'm going to say right now, we're, doing it now. we're going to have a post about the fall, and we want to know from you what is it you love to do when it comes to be fall time. Yes. Yeah. And we will try those things. And we will try those things. We're going things. to take it to the next step. <laughs> wow. Okay. I mean, within reason, uh, you know, okay, I'm not yeah. just like, uh, it's not like a blank check just to, uh, you tell me whatever to, you know, tell True. me to do whatever you, you want have to do. You have to do it yourself. Yeah. Yeah. It needs to be like a real fall. A real thing. Fall, fall tradition. I mean, yeah. and we're getting into like, the postseason of baseball, mm-hmm. you know, which is exciting. Mm. And uh, football, of course, has already begun. And yes. Whatever it might be, whatever you love to do during the fall, let us know when you see our post hit the sosh. Do people? Sosh, no, I don't think that's not. That's not. Um, no. Well, you know, the when, gram? when it's in, in the gram, is like, that? Maybe. I don't you know. You would be. No, no, no. Don't act like you don't know. <laughs> 
Okay. We I know, don't know. You, you know, you know your way around social media. I okay. do until the Gen Zs tell me I don't. <laughs> I am a oh, geriatric no. millennial. Oh no, <laughs> this is getting tragic really fast. Well, what, in, when it ends up in your feed, just let us know what you like to do for the fall. And actually, I just also wanted to point out I have a special pin here. I like it. It is my big four color pin. Mm. Okay. Classic. And you can even hear some of the, the audio on this. This is an audio program, so I just want the listener to enjoy some four yeah. colors in one pin. If you can just imagine, yeah, with us what yeah. that experience maybe, is like. Maybe we'll post a picture of this too. I think so. It's it's worth it. It is. It but is. did you ever have the one that had ten on there? Was there such a thing? Yes, that had ten colors in one. Maybe not ten. Utensil? That might be a little stretch, but it was. Wow. Close to it. I think I'm vaguely remembering this now. Yeah. It's kind of the same mechanics. I mean, if you take the cover off this thing, it's like a Rolls Royce engine inside. Look at that baby. Wow. Wow. That yeah. is... Isn't that... I wish you guys could see this right now. This, this is, is amazing. Yeah. Look, look at all those moving parts. Like... It's incredible. Anyway, technology. I just, wanted to, I'm, I just wanted to point that out because for obvious reasons. Thank you for sharing that with us. Today, we have a very special topic and a very special guest. Special guest is me. Oh, yeah. it's not. No. Oh. Not you. Not me. Okay. Um, you're the guest host, but I'm the special uh. guest. And today, the topic is the Bible. Oh, sweet. We are talking about the Bible. Yes. yes. And I'm really excited for this. I've been wanting to do something like this for mm. a while. Uh, periodically, we're going to be kind of just diving into something that we as salvationists believe, you know. Uh, it's important that we know what we actually stand for. You know what I mean? What's all this salvationism stuff about? And are we really doing our homework and getting to know what we believe so that, not just so we can have all this head knowledge, but that we could be ready yeah. to share with others when we have the opportunity to share uh, about the hope that is within us. So, um, we're going to be talking about the Bible. I'm excited to jive, to jive into this conversation. You can jive. We're going yeah. to jive into it. And uh, without further ado, let's talk about the Bible. Let's do it. So, Caleb, we live in a time where there is so much information being thrown at us at all times. It is definitely an overload. Um, and while this is true in the secular world, I think it could also be true in um, the Christian world in our church that we uh, just have a lot coming at us, um, a lot that's being soaked in. Uh, but sometimes the things that we soak in or hear are things that we've just heard over and over and over again since we were little. And uh, I think sometimes we need to—not sometimes, all the time— go back to the basics of the word mm. and to know for ourselves, not what we've been told necessarily, but know the truth for ourselves, mm -hmm. um, that it's personal and it's living. And so uh, my question for you is, what do we believe about the Bible as salvationists? What does that uh, look like for us? Yeah, it's a great question. And you frame that so well, I think, because we are in this information-laden age, right, where we have more information at our fingertips now mm -hmm. than all of human history basically combined. You know, it's just incredible the amount of information that we can access. And in that kind of uh, chaotic environment, uh, it can be very easy to become confused. Mm -hmm. um, even though we in the Salvation Army have a particular identity, which is we are Salvationists. And so, yeah, I want in this episode to just kind of unfold for everyone listening what it is that we as Salvationists uh, say we believe about the Bible specifically. And to do that, um, I'm going to really frame this out the exact same way that the Handbook of Doctrine frames it out. Okay, so for those who don't know, uh, we do have a Handbook on Doctrine that we can turn to and that uh, explains um, the 11 doctrines of the Salvation Army, but also um, more of what we believe as a Salvation Army. So definitely encourage people to do that and even carry yours around with you as you go from place to place. I do. Right? I mean, who doesn't? Who doesn't? You know, yeah, I'm a handbook of a doctor. I got right. Don't don't leave home without it. Yeah, you got you got to be ready. You got to be you ready. You got to be vigilant. You got exactly. 
Um, my Bible, that that's another story, but my handbook of doctrine, I've got that. Yeah, I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, so we want to talk about what is it as salvationists we believe. And so a great place to start with that is just to talk about the first doctrine of the salvation, which is about the Bible. So for uh, those who've maybe not heard it, the first doctrine of the Salvation Army is we believe that the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments were given by the inspiration of God and that they only constitute the divine rule of Christian faith and practice. I don't know about you, Ashley, but I grew up learning that as a song. Do you, mm. Did you learn the jingles, the doctrine songs? No? I unfortunately was not taught. Oh. I, can you give us an example? Well, I, no, I don't know if I'm going to— um, do oh. a little ditty right here, right now okay. for all the, the listeners. But I will happily provide the CD to anyone who would like it because I have it. A CD, yeah. yes. And it can also be your ringtone. That uh, is the doctrine songs. next level. It sure is. Okay. I was an honor junior soldier. Anyway, <laughs> I digress. So uh, that is the first doctrine of Salvation Army, and it's important that's the first one. Um, so... Salvation Army has these 11 doctrines. This is the way we be, we begin our beliefs is with this statement about the Bible. And that's intentional because what the Salvation Army is saying, what we as a faith community are saying is, for us, we begin at the Word of God, at the mm -hmm. Bible. When we talk about our beliefs, what we believe to be true, for us, there is a primary source for that, and that is the Bible. Uh, the Handbook of Doctrine calls the Bible a source book. It's this place from which we go, this place from which we get, rather, mm -hmm. our uh, beliefs, what we know to be true, what we believe to be true um, by faith. And so, uh, the Bible is, for that reason, um, a kind of singular entity. There's nothing else like it. Right. And we're going to talk about why, it, why we believe that about the Bible, why it is that the Bible is unique. Um, we do claim in the Handbook of Doctrine that the Bible is written by human authors, but that it's also God's Word. And so I've just got a couple of scriptures here to share with you uh, that I think help really orient our thoughts around that. So from 1 Thessalonians 2.13, and so we too constantly thank God that when you received God's message that you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human message, but as it truly is, God's message, which is at work among you who believe. So the message they're talking about here in first that Paul's talking about rather in his letter to uh, the Thessalonians is the gospel, right? Mm -hmm. And who is the center of the gospel? Jesus. That's right. Yeah, very good. Yes, I got you that got one your right. gold star in Sunday school then. Yeah. Um, the the center of the the message that we have is Jesus, the center of the gospel, and actually in the Greek text here in this scripture, the word that's used for message or word is. Lagos, which is also Bible software, which I actually do oh. recommend. It's very good Bible software. But Lagos is just a simple Greek word for the word word, mm -hmm. okay? Um, and it's also a way that we uh, that we find Scripture referring to Jesus, particularly you might think of the first chapter of the Gospel of John, mm -hmm. where it talks about in the beginning was the word, the Lagos, mm -hmm. and Jesus is that word. And so you have here... Uh, throughout the, this text and throughout the Bible, this kind of um, uh, referring to the gospel as God's word, God's message, and referring to Jesus as God's word, God's uh, re underlying reason for everything, mm. God's plan, design for everything. And so in that way, Jesus and the message are uh, identified together. Yeah. Our message is Jesus. The gospel is Jesus. And when we proclaim the gospel, the message, which we believe to be uh, told in the Bible, found in the pages of the Bible, the Holy Spirit inhabits that message so that Jesus is in our midst. Mm. We encounter Christ in the preaching, the teaching, the proclamation of the message, which we find in the Bible. So I'm trying to just sort of develop how there's these layers of sources and and these connections between who Jesus is, yeah. who he was to the apostles who have given us the Bible, how he is then captured by the Bible, his character, the things he did, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, all those important aspects of life, his life are captured in the Bible. And then the Holy Spirit then inhabits the text of the Bible so that through it, 
the one whom the message is about is then present to us because mm. he's so closely identified with that yeah. message. Uh, here's another scripture from Jude, the, the uh, third verse of Jude. Jude's only got one chapter in the Bible, so it just numbers verses. That's yeah. kind of cool. That's so awesome. This is Jude 3. Dear friends, although I have been eager to write to you about our common salvation, I now feel compelled instead to write to encourage you to contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. And it's that last phrase I want to kind of uh, just focus in on for a second. Was once for all entrusted to the saints. So I want to say that in this way, the Bible is a kind of fixed document, okay? Mm -hmm. The words are just in and of themselves um, dead on the page, okay? You know, I have a Bible here. We have these words printed on this beautiful gold leaf paper, mm -hmm. I might add. It is beautiful. It, th thank you so much. You're welcome. Um, my wife, Kendall, got me this Bible. Uh -huh. It's very nice. Um, and even has my name on it. Yeah. Yeah, so you see <laughs> the words on, this pa on these pages. And so these words are just like words on any other page in and of themselves. But the Holy Spirit, once again, inhabits these words. But it's important that these words... And, and when he inhabits these words, then they become alive. Yeah. That's what I mean by the, the word being alive. Yeah. A living word is it's made alive by God and then effective in us. It does mm -hmm. something to us. Mm -hmm. But uh, I also want to say that it's important that those words not be changed. Yeah. That this has been the message that has been delivered once and for all. Uh, sorry, once for all entrusted to the saints, meaning this word has been delivered to us, the church, for all of time. Mm. And, it, and this word is the word that can produce life because, again, the Holy Spirit's going to inhabit this message, this message about Christ that yeah. captures so perfectly who Christ is, mm -hmm. inhabit this message, but no other message. Yeah. And so this is the text we have, and we have to keep it that way. Yeah. Uh, we have to be diligent about defending any attempts to alter it, to change mm. it, because we take so seriously what it is God wants to do through it, yeah. which is ultimately to liberate us, to free us, to emancipate us from what holds us captive, from sin, from death. Uh, and that work relies upon our keeping the text the way it was given. Mm. Yeah. Once for all entrusted to the saints. So that's just a little bit about uh, what we as a Salvation Army believe, just kind of just laying some foundational pieces about mm -hmm. the Bible. What do we consider to be the Bible? Yeah, um, that's a very good question. What do we consider to be the Bible? Because the Bible is a little different, right, than other books. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, it's kind of a collection of many books together. Yeah. Like we talk about uh, the different, you might call sections of the Bible mm -hmm. as individual books. So like the book of Genesis or the book of James or First Peter or what have you. Uh, and so in that way, the Bible is a book, but it's also a collection of books. And this collection of books, we sometimes in theological circles called the canon. And canon's just a kind of fancy word for a reed, like mm. a stick. Okay. Yeah. Which uh, the idea being that it's a kind of measuring rod against okay. which we measure yeah. our faith. Oh, interesting. Like it's the canon. So we want to compare what we believe to the canon, yeah. to, the, to the measuring rod. Yeah. And if it doesn't measure up, then to that to that rod, then we don't believe it. Mm. And it's the same way with the Bible. Like the Bible is, this is the canon. These 66 books of the Old New Testament, they're the measuring rod. And if we begin to believe something that in any way is contrary to that, mm. then we don't need to believe it. Yeah. Because it's not going to produce life in us. Right. Because this has been the message given to yeah. us to produce life. And so uh, I've already mentioned how the, the Bible's... Um, these 66 books, 39 books of the Old Testament, 27 books in the New Testament. So uh, three-fourths of the Bible is the Old Testament. That's wild. Isn't that wild? I don't yeah. think people realize just how much no. the Bible is the Old Testament. I didn't realize that till just now. Right. And well, you're not alone. And the thing about that is so often 
we neglect to read the Old Testament. Yeah. But if we're neglecting to read the Old Testament, we're neglecting to read most of the Bible. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. And sometimes we also treat the Old Testament like it's just all kind of uh, like an introduction to the New Testament mm-hmm. or like what it has to say is not exactly equivalent to what the New Testament has to say mm-hmm. or uh, that it's it's like the New Testament, that's God's Word, and the Old Testament's like God's word, God's word light, you know, mm, or like, yeah, you know, not entirely, but right. no, the whole thing is the canon. Yeah. All of it's the measuring rod. All of it is the word of God, mm. and so we shouldn't neglect the majority of the Bible or right. even look down upon it. Mm-hmm. It's all been inspired by God. Yeah, and so we have uh, these two testaments: the Old and New Testament. Testament's a fancy word, really, for covenant. <laughs> And so uh, we, as Christians, divide the Bible in that way. Uh, The 39 books of the Old Covenant, and then Mm -hmm. Jesus coming brings the New Covenant. So this New Testament with these 27 books. And so all that together uh, gives us the Bible, what we know to be the Bible today. So my question about, you were speaking about the Old Testament and the New Testament and that uh, we can't rule out the Old Testament just because the New Testament is here. So what do you, what would you say to people who are tempted to just kind of not really pay much attention to yeah. the Old Testament? I, I am, for one, would be tempted to do that because yeah. maybe there's a lot of uh, historical context that I don't understand or yeah. um, I can't wrap my mind around. But just tell me, like, the significance of why it's so necessary to know the Old Testament. Absolutely. That's a great question. And um, it is really significant and important to know the Old Testament. I, a way I kind of start to answer that question is to say, because Jesus thought it was really significant. So mm-hmm. if we go to the Sermon on the Mount uh, mm-hmm. in Matthew, look at Matthew chapter 5, I have here um, verse 17. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. So basically the mm-hmm. Old Testament as a way of uh, uh, the Jews of Jesus' day could refer to the Old Testament writings. I have not come to abolish these things, Jesus says, but to fulfill them. Mm-hmm. And uh, writing about this passage, a, a scholar named Donald Hagner um, writes this. He says, Far from destroying the law, Jesus' teachings, despite their occasionally strange sound, penetrate to the divinely intended meaning of the law. Because the law and the prophets pointed to him, and he is their goal. He is able now to reveal their true meaning and so to bring them to fulfillment. Mm. And so Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount does something really very intriguing uh, and um, an amazing thing where he, at the start of this sermon, his grand uh, kind of speech, this, mm. this great discourse. As a kid, I had this book that was like the 100 greatest speeches ever given. Mm. Uh, and in that book was the Sermon on the Mount. Now, uh, if it had been a ranked thing, this would have been number one. Okay, this number is, one. This is yes. Jesus' uh, big sermon. Like mm. the, it is um, crowning uh, message, you might say. I'm, I'm struggling. I can't even really verbalize how, you know, um, important a, a sermon this is. And mm. in that, you know, kind of quintessential message of Jesus, he talks about how the law and the prophets point to him. He is the fulfillment of that, meaning uh, when we go to the Old Testament and we read through the law, we read through the prophetic writings, mm-hmm. think of the major prophets, the minor prophets, the whole thing, what they're describing in essence is Jesus. Mm-hmm. He embodies it all. The kind of person that the law was meant to produce is Jesus. Yeah. He's the one, yeah. the fulfillment of it all. Now, when we actually get into the kind of the, the then real connection, the practical connection of the law then to the New Testament. When we get to then what the real implications then are of the law for Christians, a text that I always go back to is in Galatians, where Paul in Galatians is talking about the law as a pedagogue, which is a word you might define as tutor. Now, uh, in the ancient world, you would have a pedagogue who's a tutor who's like a tutor plus like a bus driver, okay? This was the person who would take students from their home to their school, okay? And as they took them, they would also quiz them on what they were learning and and kind of, 
you know, do a little bit of tutoring yeah. on the way to school to where the teacher would be. And what Paul is saying is the law, the Mosaic law, mm-hmm. the kind of identity marking law, the, the law that was intended to put a hedge around the community of God and to say, here is what the community looks like. Here's how they eat. Here's how they dress. Here is, uh, Here are some things that describe their sex lives. Here's you know, everything about yeah. them. This is what we define to be the people of God. This is the way they live. This is the law. And Paul is saying that was like a tutor, a pedagogue who was taking the children of Israel mm. on their way to yeah. the teacher, yeah, to Christ gotcha. and to the Holy Spirit. And Paul says the Holy Spirit now comes and inscribes upon the hearts of believers the moral law of Christ. Mm. Uh, and in fact, in another uh, Pauline text, Paul says that we even receive the very mind of Christ, that this ultimately was what it was all pointing towards, yeah. was that uh, one day the Spirit would come and you wouldn't have need for the ritual law, the, again, the law that created a boundary that mm. said this is this is meant to, yeah, keep people out, but then also to uh, develop and form and be really formative for the people who are within this boundary. Now that Jesus has come and now the Spirit has come, the Spirit does that work. Mm. The teachers come and it will actually inscribe on our hearts what is good. Yeah. And we will then live out of that life in the Spirit in which we have the very mind, the attitudes, the dispositions, the the um, propensities, the mm. the loves, the desires of yeah. Jesus yeah. within us. I love that. It's incredible. It's incredible news, right? Yeah. And so that doesn't mean that there's not law. Right. No, there's still morality. Yeah. Um, but it's that the ritualistic pieces mm. in the early church, things like circumcision or the dietary laws mm-hmm. or, um, again, some of the, the ways that you would appear, like uh, how you would cut your hair and all mm-hmm. those sorts of things, that's all now been put aside Yeah, because what it was all leading towards, the fulfillment of that has come yeah. and is available to every single person mm. on planet Earth. Yeah. It's an amazing thing. I, I love that. And if the rituals weren't there— it, I feel like those set up Jesus to be like this this new way made it even greater because we were hindered, we were limited by these surface level um, rules that we had to abide sure. by in the Old Testament. Maybe that's yeah. my interpretation of it and in that there had to be a contrast for us to see the greatness that is Jesus. Yes. And, and you know, Paul certainly has a preference. Uh, you know, we very much have a preference for— the, the new covenant that has been uh, inaugurated sure. in Jesus. Yeah. And uh, and we prefer that way of living than, than yeah, living under the yoke of the law. Mm. Um, now, I should say, though, both are still uh, gifts of God. Yeah. It's all grace. Yeah. It's still grace. And you know, I only say that to say, sometimes people read the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, as if this is like works righteousness, like mm. these people were earning their salvation somehow. Mm-hmm. But the, the Old Covenant was built upon a relationship God already had with his people. Yeah. You know, it starts back with Abraham and the Abrahamic covenants and then moves all the way up through the patriarchs into Joseph mm-hmm. and then into the Exodus, this yeah. incredible event. And um, actually, uh, this other quote here I want to share real quick from a theologian named Robert Jensen. I think this really captures this whole idea so well. Uh, Jensen writes, God is whoever raised Jesus from the dead, having before raised Israel from Egypt. Mm-hmm. And so you see the way in which uh, he is making this comparison between the Exodus, God raising Israel from yeah. the dead of Egypt, yeah, and then Jesus coming and God's raising Jesus from the dead. Uh, and so in that connection, he's he's really um, you know laying out how the whole Bible is this one continuous act yeah. of God through history, yeah, uh, so that. It's all gift. Mm-hmm. It's all connected. Mm-hmm. If you want to know who Jesus is, you got to go back and know who Moses was yeah. and know who David was right. and know the history of God's people yes. and then see all the many connections. Mm. You won't understand the work of Christ unless you understand that first work. Yeah. 
Uh, and it was, again, a work of grace. Mm-hmm. The, the, the people of God in Israel, uh, at Sinai rather, enter into covenant with God, not so that they could be saved, but because they already were mm. in the Exodus. Yeah. That God heard their cries. He heard the cries of his people. And without any merit of their own, he came and rescued them. That's amazing. And so you see there then also then how the covenant, the new covenant, works mm-hmm. for us. Yeah. Before, you know, while we were yet sinners, Paul says. Yeah. You know, before you or I knew anything about Jesus, mm-hmm. Jesus had already come and begun this new covenant written in his blood, you know, built upon his death and his resurrection and his ascension so that we could have this gift now of relationship with God forever. Mm-hmm. And so uh, just kind of bring the point back to, to, to kind of hammer that point once again. All of it yeah. is connected. Yeah. So the New Testament fulfills the old, mm-hmm. and we've got to read both together. Yeah. And Ashley, can I just say real quick mm-hmm. a little bit about the Bible's formation itself? Mm-hmm. Um, so... The Bible, like I said, 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament, and these books were uh, written at different times across many centuries. So it took a long time to get to having the Bible. Which is incredible. And Isn't it? Impossible, but possible. Like, <laughs> it's just crazy how it all... Yeah. Yeah, it is crazy. And I think you have to say it's a miracle, you know? Yeah. I like the way you frame that, that it's... Um, impossible but possible. I mean, it's this miraculous thing that God has done in giving us the Bible. And there's so many different things you could point to to just spell out how the Bible itself is a miracle. Yeah. You know, again, this gift given over many centuries through different writers, different contexts, but still has so many connections throughout, mm-hmm. you know, where you have all these intertextual links uh, between books and between passages. And yeah. it's an amazing kind of feat of the Spirit working, uh, collaborating with humanity. And there are um, so many things I'd point to just to describe how incredible the Bible is. Just a couple things that I think are, are pretty cool. Um, there's a guy named Herodotus who we often think of as like the father of history. He's this Greek writer uh, who wrote uh, in approximately 440 BC, and he writes this history about the Greco-Persian Wars, which happened a few decades before him. Well, the oldest surviving uh, copy that we have of that history dates to about the 9th century A.D. That's about 1,300 years after it was apparently first drafted, right? The writings of the New Testament are far closer to the actual events mm-hmm. than his than the copy that we have. So the copies of the New Testament, we can date those far closer to the events of the New Testament than we can the writings of Herodotus to the Greco Persian oh, Wars. Interesting. Uh, and so something that people don't realize about the Bible is that by ancient standards, these are very credible texts too, mm. uh, particularly when we're talking about the New Testament. I mean, um, the Acts of the Apostles has all of this historical detail throughout, mm. and it's detail that we couldn't have come across without someone actually having been there and not just mm. going to that place, but going at that specific time. Yeah. Titles for some of the officials that are used. Uh, place names, whatever. There are so many. There's so many details uh, in that just that book alone that give us really good insight that this is, you know, this is being produced by someone who was really yeah, there, or at least had access to people who were really there yeah. at that time. Yeah, it's really legit. And you have also so many different copies of. Uh, let's just take the New Testament. So many copies of the New Testament. So we do have. Um, to complete uh, what we call codices, mm-hmm. uh, and um, those are are fairly early, okay? Uh, but we also have many uh, thousands of little fragments and copies of different books from the New Testament. Mm-hmm. So here's just like a comparison to help you kind of um, think through that. So uh, Homer's Iliad, you know, famous epic poem, Greek poem. We have about 1,800 copies of Homer's Iliad. Okay, pieces of it or mm-hmm. whatever. For the New Testament, we have twenty four thousand. Wow, copies of parts of it, whole copies. Yeah, twenty four thousand. And so, something happened in the first century 
that led to this kind of explosion mm -hmm. of writing, of copying and transmitting. Mm -hmm. Whoever was doing this work, okay, yeah. the early church obviously, yeah. was energized by something. Yeah. Something had happened mm. that produced this kind of passion for the written word. Yeah. The likes of which the ancient world had never seen before. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, we would say, well, it's very clear what happened. Jesus. Yeah. The life, death, resurrection, yeah. and ascension of Christ. Mm. So those are just a, a couple, I think, neat sort of facts about the Bible. There's so much that could be said from uh, just the different methods that were employed. I mean, we're not mm -hmm. talking about there being copiers available, okay? Yeah. If, if they're making a copy of any part of the Bible, it's mm -hmm. being done, you know, on uh, papyrus uh, in a dimly lit cave, most likely, or wow. a room, and someone's you know, reading the text out loud, and then you have scribes who are copying it down and being very diligent to not have any kind of error in their copy. Wow, I and, could not do that job. <laughs> I mean, that would not be me. Right? I mean, we talk <laughs> about being distracted today, you know, yeah. how, how big a problem distraction is. Like, they had to be so focused so for focused. so many hours to copy this thing, and they did yeah. it as an act of devotion yeah. to the Word. Yes. You know, and so I just share that, not just to kind of provide some idea of some of the cool things about the Bible, but to also say, like, how devoted are we to the mm. Word? You know, yeah. we who have access to it more than any previous generation, yeah. you know, in, in, you know, dozens of translations in many dozens of, I mean, almost every language mm. now yeah. has the Bible in it. Yeah. Uh, are we being devoted, focused upon the Word? Uh, or are, are we actually sinning in our lack of, diligent focus upon it, mm -hmm. our, our lack of devotion to the Word of God. Yeah. The answer is yes. <laughs> you didn't have to answer. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> no. This isn't a... No, I, no I, you're not alone. <laughs> not at all. Um, and so that's just a little, there's some, I think, neat facts about the Bible. What is so different about the Bible? Yeah, that's a, I think that's the question that kind of really cuts to the heart of all this is, Okay, the Bible's got some neat traits, you know, written over a long time. It's obviously been important for history. I mean, mm -hmm. the Bible is uh, far and away the mm -hmm. most published book out there. Yeah. More copies of the Bible have been produced and sold than any other book. And uh, at this point, I think it's safe to say no other book will ever catch up. No. Like, there's no way. It's also been the most stolen book. Oh, I did not know that. That's what somebody told me. So you might need to fact <laughs> you might need to fact check that. But that's also pretty cool yeah, too. Yeah, most stolen book ever. <laughs> yeah. You know, exactly. So, but but be, besides all that, what does make the Bible different? Mm. And I think um, one of the really clear answers to that is that we see in the Bible the revelation of God. That this is what we uh, might say in theology uh, language, special revelation. So. Um, sometimes theologians will talk about these two categories of general revelation, which is stuff we can observe about God just by observing what mm -hmm. he's created mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and also just reasoning about God. Yeah. So you can think of uh, the philosophers over so many centuries have written when it comes to God or to being, yeah. to different attributes mm -hmm. uh, about God. Paul even kind of makes this argument in Romans, in Romans 1, when he talks about the Gentiles having available to them mm -hmm. uh, this knowledge of God, and yet even though they had this knowledge of God, still trading um, his image for mm -hmm. uh, images of idols. Um, so there's been this kind of general revelation provided in yeah. creation where we can observe certain things about God just with our own kind of senses. Mm -hmm. But then there's this category of special revelation. Um, and it's not just like special in that it's like, you know, this revelation gets a shiny prize or something, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but it's special in that it's uh, given to us in a specific way, in mm -hmm. a specific word. This is revelation that is unique. Yeah. There's no parallel for it. Mm -hmm. It is uh, revelation provided directly by God to a particular people yeah. uh, within a particular context saying something specific. Yeah. Not general. Not of it, not this right. isn't revelation available in all forms of religion or right. faith or through our 
you know, again, our, our abilities to reason, what have you. This is revelation that God himself has made known. It's intimate. It's intimate. Yeah, yeah it's intimate. It's intimate in that it's, uh, again, revealed directly to someone, yeah. and it's God doing it. Mm. Uh, it is God himself revealing himself. Yeah. And so um, in the Bible, we find this special revelation, this kind of revelation. Um, 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that all God's people may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is one of the, the just basic fundamental texts that we go to when we talk about the Bible and what we believe about the Bible. The Scripture is God-breathed. It's not merely a human product. Every word of it, every phrase, every sentence is imbued with the majesty of God, with the voice of God. When we read the Bible, yes, there's a human writer who's involved, but we are also in reading the Bible and hearing the Bible, hearing uh, in every word the voice of God reverberate. Yeah. We're hearing the, the sound of his voice. Yeah. Uh, and in what we're hearing, we find, again, this revelation that is given to us for a specific reason mm-hmm. and for our good. And so the Bible is unlike any other text. Yeah. Uh, again, we'll go back to what we talked about earlier. We have a canon, a measuring rod. The mm-hmm. canon is these 66 books. They alone have this special quality, mm-hmm. nothing else. Yeah. Um, and so uh, another important text when we talk about the Bible and talk about it as revelation is in Second Peter 1, 20 through 21. Above all, you do well if you recognize this, No prophecy of Scripture ever comes about by the prophet's own imagination, for no prophecy was ever born of human impulse. Rather, men carried along by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Mm. There's a beautiful description there uh, in Peter where the writer Peter is giving us this kind of uh, imagery for how inspiration works. Yeah. You you still have the human person involved, but he, he says here, that the men who provided this prophecy, uh, provided the word, were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So it's the Holy Spirit not changing them, not uh, getting rid of their humanity mm-hmm. or their history or their context, but carrying them along. Yeah. Almost like you would imagine wind blowing mm-hmm. a ship along to its destination. Yeah. And so in that way, the Holy Spirit uh, came alongside inhabited, uh, motivated these people to then provide the Bible, uh, which is inspired. One last text I just want to mention here um, before we talk about uh, authority and the Bible's authority comes again from 2 Peter 3, 14 through 16. Therefore, dear friends, since you are waiting for these things, strive to be found at peace without spot or blemish when you come into his presence. And regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our dear brother Paul wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him, speaking of these things in all his letters. Some things in these letters are hard to understand. Ain't that the truth? Mm. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> things the ignorant, that's me, I guess, <laughs> and uh, an unstable twist to their own destruction as they also do to the rest of the scriptures. So I just read that to make two points. One is, Paul's writings are identified within the Bible as Scripture. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, when we talk about the New Testament, the New Testament is uh, self-identifying as Scripture in this passage. Um, Paul is doing something in continuation of what we find in the Gospels and in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. So we don't want to ever pit Paul against the rest of the Word right. or pit any part of the Bible against the rest of the Bible we read it with this lens of it's being a continuation of yeah. what God has done. Yeah. And then the second thing I would want to highlight is that people can twist the Bible. Sure. People can twist it, uh, whether out of ignorance or out of some kind of um, bad intention. Yeah. And and twist it and um, manipulate it to kind of promote whatever it is they're wanting to promote. Yeah. And so we as Christians have to know the Word mm-hmm. and be studying it for many reasons. One of them being that we can be uh, either 
defending ourselves from such people mm-hmm. or defending others from whatever lies people might be yeah. trying to feed to feed them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think that forces us to kind of, not forces us, but uh, gives us a desire to be in tune with God's voice mm. um, when we're genuinely seeking is what is being told to me actually truth, yeah. God's word being truth. Yeah. Um, or is that just some, a thought that I am telling myself is yeah. truth, uh, which is often the case for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you raise, I think, a really like, important issue too, this issue of um, like why why do we care about what God's saying, what, what his truth is? Because there's an authority involved mm-hmm. in what God, like the Bible has authority in our lives. We've yeah. talked about how it's unique. Because of that uniqueness, it has and in fact, it has like ultimate authority yeah. in our lives. Yeah. The spirit who carried these men along in writing the Bible mm-hmm. and and uh, also, you know, was the um, impetus, the, the cause of the whole thing. Yeah. When he speaks to us, he speaks to us in continuation of that, mm-hmm. that kind of um, trajectory of yeah. revelation. Yeah. And so you're talking about like knowing what's true, what's not true. Well, whatever we determine to be true, it needs to be aligned with yes. the Bible. Yeah. And what the Bible says is true because mm-hmm. of the authority of the Bible and because the spirit does not change. You know, the handbook of doctrine talks about the scripture and other authorities and actually uh, really gets into what you were just talking about, how um, the what we believe as salvationists is there is the authority of the Bible and the authority of the Bible also is um, uh, kind of... Um, read alongside um, these other uh, authorities in our lives. Mm-hmm. And so the Handbook of Doctrine talks about um, the Holy Spirit as this authority who illuminates the text for us. Mm-hmm. And also the church who provides a kind of consensus around what we believe to be true. And so that's also really helpful corrective. So not only are we reading the Bible to determine what is true, but we're also reading it in conversation with, of course, the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also in conversation with the church. Yeah. And all of us together, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, determine the truth of the word. Yeah. Uh, and if we if we end up with some sort of individualized uh, interpretation of the Bible that we think is really cool and kind of cutting edge right. and like we've done something new here. Right. Um, then, you know, we need to take that to the church and say, what do y'all think about this? Yeah. And nine times out of ten, actually probably every time they're going to say, Mm, yeah. This isn't, you know. Right. This isn't really going to hold water. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and actually, this is actually what the word is saying here. Yeah. Um, we are we have a gift in Christian community and in real authorities on the Bible, people who've really studied it for a mm-hmm. long time, and in just the church as a whole, yeah. who along with the Spirit, under the guidance of the Spirit, help us to determine what is true yeah. in the Bible. But again, the Bible all along the way is the primary authority and the Bible is an authority in helping us also interpret culture mm-hmm. and interpret the wider world around us. Yeah. So the Bible does not have to be in contest with or competition with all other forms of knowledge. Yeah. That's not what we're saying either. No. There's a lot that you know there's there's so many things worth our studying, yeah. you know, and you can um, garner a lot of information, a lot of knowledge, very helpful, mm-hmm. edifying, God-honoring knowledge from yeah. a variety of disciplines. But again, in conversation with the Word, yeah, the Word's that final authority. Yeah, um, We can turn to other ways of thinking to learn something, yeah. but always in conversation with what the Bible is telling us is true. Uh, and so that's just a little bit about authority in the Bible. So we've gone into detail uh, discussing the Bible and the authority, and um, so what is the the purpose, and and why does it matter? um, Maybe for us as individuals, but us as a community, as believers, um, and what are the implications? Yeah, like okay, it's all cool to believe these things about the Bible, but what's the real practical effect of that? Yeah. Like if we were to depart a little bit from what we've outlined, you know, what would really, what would that mm. matter? What are really the implications of all of this? Yeah, yeah. Well, 
Um, the Bible in all matters of Christian faith and practice is, again, the final authority. Mm -hmm. So everything we believe about our faith, about Christianity, about the gospel, rests upon this firm foundation of the Bible, yeah. of God's Word. And so in undermining the authority of the Bible, we inadvertently undermine the authority of the gospel. Yeah. And, you know, we might think, oh, we can tweak this or that. But as we begin to tweak and try to make the Bible into our own image mm -hmm. or an image of something that we would prefer to what we have, yeah. we end up messing with the gospel, yeah. with the good news, with this message of, again, as we were talking about earlier, the Spirit giving us the very mind of Christ, of freeing us from what holds us captive, of coming into our lives and saying, I care I care about the sin in your life, not just because sin is wrong, but because sin is oppressive. Sin is out yeah. to destroy. Sin is out to kill. Mm -hmm. And this message is what saves us from that, yeah. what rescues us from that and gives us life and liberty and beauty. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the Bible as the foundation for that is extremely important. And that is why we have to be so diligent about conveying the Bible accurately, yeah. truthfully, from this generation to the mm -hmm. next. Uh, one of the kinds of things that happened recently in my life that um, is a helpful frame for this, I think you might be able to relate to actually, mm. uh, actually comes from the movie Moana. Oh, yeah. So good. <laughs> so <laughs> maybe you, like me, have, you know, in as a sleep-deprived parent, mm -hmm. found yourself just really, uh, like, embarrassingly emotional during a Pixar movie. <laughs> Every time. <laughs> Every time. Every single I mean, time. That first like 15 minutes of up, like what in the world? I mean, honestly, you know, the Pixar so lamp not... could be popping, <laughs> you know, just jumping across the screen and I lose it immediately. Lose it. <laughs> That's how exhausted I am. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's they're just really good at what they do. Yes. And then we're also again sleep deprived, doing what we can just yeah. to Survive. take care of these little critters that we have. Yeah. And I had a moment like this where we were listening to the Moana soundtrack mm -hmm. in our car, me and my two kids. And uh, I just all of a sudden became very emotional listening to this one particular song. Uh, and it's the song, We Know the Way. Okay. Yes. I'll, I'll give you a little bit of the Hawaiian at the beginning. Ooh, okay. Yes. Tatua ata gata falau i valawiana. This is all terrible. Uh, <laughs> here, I, I think I could do this one better. Te manuele e tataki e. No, that was even worse. Okay. <laughs> so there's like a Hawaiian verse, okay? Yes. In chorus. But then it gets into uh, the the English. And by the way, Moana, I didn't know this until recently. Another Lin-Manuel uh, Miranda yes. classic. Okay. Uh, I mean, the guy sneezes and it's a Tony it's music. award. It's Yeah. Know, yeah. It's uh -huh. like. Genius. And, and just, gosh, wow. And he actually sings in this song. He does? Yeah. Yeah. Go back and listen. Oh. We know the way. Um and so you, the English verse here is really where I I got verklempt, okay? I, yeah, I, I kind of lost Klempt. it. Yeah. And it, it reads this way. Um, well, and let me just, I got to tell the story a little bit too. Please do. Yeah, I'm just getting too excited about this. So Moana is part of this uh, people group in Hawaii, mm -hmm. and they once were great like seafarers, like mm -hmm. navigators. They would travel all around the, the area and they could navigate their way. And, yeah. But then all of a sudden, the environment starts to change. It gets more dangerous, and they stop sailing, okay? Mm -hmm. And this is all uh, hidden from Moana. She doesn't know until her grandmother takes her to this big, giant cave. There's these boats, and it's all revealed to her in this mm. instant who her people actually are, okay? <sighs> yeah, powerful, dramatic. I'm waiting for that wow. moment. Yeah, who our people actually are. And and the the song she sees this vision of what they once were, and then this this is the this song is actually in that scene. Yeah. I've I've already spoke way too much about this this one scene. In the Not moment, enough. But here, <laughs> Not enough. So the verse is, we read the wind in the sky when the sun is high. We sail the length of the seas on the ocean breeze. At night we name every star. And this is the this is the part that got me. We know where we we know where we are. We know who we are. Who we are. And the idea being that because they know where they are, mm -hmm. the only reason they can know where they are is because they're navigators. Yeah. And therefore, they know who they are. And so the who they are is connected to uh, what they do, yeah. what they believe, Yeah, you might say. 
Uh, and all of it is this vision for Moana in that moment that uh, for the very first time confronts her with who her people once were. Mm. Okay. They yeah. were once this people who did this thing, who had this mindset, this attitude about life, this belief system that they then want, they then eventually traded out of fear. Mm. Uh, and they've lost now who they actually are. And wow. the reason I began to broke down because I was thinking about us a little bit yeah. as salvationists and thinking about us as this people of the way of salvation. Yeah. This people of total heart purity. Yeah. This people of uh, the the pure gospel, the gospel of full salvation, that is that we are fallen, but then God proveniently restores some measure of our free will so that we can choose him and respond to him and we begin to respond to him and repent of our sins. But then yeah. God freely, no one else does this, just but God, he freely intervenes into our life mm. and saves us and makes us born again. And in the new birth, we are justified of our sins and forgiven of them and the guilt of them is no more. But then we're also regenerated by the Spirit so that we mm. can live apart from sin. We no longer have to sin. We don't have to willfully transgress a known ordinance of God, a known moral law of God, but we can have freedom from sin in that way. The yeah. sin's no longer on the throne of our lives. But then there's more. There's more to this good news because then we begin to be uh, sanctified by God even more. And there's growth in grace and progression in our faith. And as God works, we work and we work together. And uh, then we come to this moment of entire sanctification where not only are we now not sinning in our behavior, mm -hmm. not willfully, again, transgressing something we know God has forbidden us to do, but our attitudes are also changed mm -hmm. and our, our, our desires are changed and our loves are changed and our tempers are changed um, so that we no longer uh, are living out of pride. Now, yeah. in Christianity, when we use the word pride, we don't just mean arrogance. We also mean a kind of self-absorption with our, with anything yeah. about ourselves. So maybe it's our misery. Mm -hmm. So we're not proud of ourselves in that sense. We're not arrogant, but we just we just focus continually on our own misery or our yeah. own sadness, or uh, we're freed from other tempers like self-will or the love of the world, like all these things that oppress the mind, that get into our heart, that mm -hmm. uh, seem to be so deeply rooted and entrenched. The gospel we proclaim says that we can be freed from even that. Yeah, amen. That we can really, as the Bible says, have the mind of Christ. Mm. And it's that message that was the, the shot fired by William Booth and his little band mm. in the East End of London all those years ago. And it's that message that led to that red, hot, and righteous movement that took over uh, the UK and that just kept spreading abroad is now in 132 countries around the world. Yeah, It's that message of not just asking how, what we can be forgiven of, mm -hmm. but what more will God do in yeah. our lives? How yeah. much more will he give? Yeah, We can trust him that he will give because he's promised to give. Yes. And it was in that moment, listening to that little song, that I just thought, I pray to God we never lose that. Mm. And the reason I bring all this up is to say— that if we begin to play with the Bible, then we're losing it already. Yeah. That if we begin to pull apart what the Bible is, if we begin to say, ah, this is uncomfortable. I don't mm. like this. You know, this is a this is an area of my life that I really don't want God in at all, mm. or I don't think this is sin, whatever it might be, mm -hmm. then we are destroying the beauty of this message of God's holy love for us and in us and for the world. Yeah. And that is worth defending, that is worth celebrating, and that is worth uh, continuing on because it's the only thing ultimately that matters. Yeah. The only thing that ultimately gives life to this world that is so uh, in, immersed in death. Yeah. It is that light in the darkness that shines, mm. this message of God's transforming, holy, selfless love that doesn't just seek us out mm -hmm. and make whatever we did better, but mm. makes us better. Yes. That changes us from the inside out. And so um, with that, I just wanted to just finish with a couple, just a couple readings. Yeah. Okay. First one is what I think is probably the most um, 
Like when we think about holiness in the Salvation Army, mm-hmm. and think of like the quintessential kind of experience of it. We all, I think, as Salvationists, go back to Samuel Logan Bringle and um, the way he describes uh, his kind of experience uh, of holiness in his life uh, is, I think, you know, just again one of the best accounts of it. And so I'll just read a little bit of this. Uh, this is him talking about his walk with God and his experience of God. When my heart has ached, he has comforted me. When my feet have well nigh slipped, he has held me up. When my faith has trembled, he has encouraged me. When I have been in sore need, he has supplied all my need. When I have been hungry, he has fed me. When I have thirsted, he has given me living water. Oh, glory to God, what has he not done for me? What has he not been to me? I recommend him to the world. He has taught me that sin is the only thing that can harm me and that the only thing that can profit me in the world is faith which worketh by love. He has taught me to hang upon Jesus by faith for my salvation from all sin and fear and shame and to show my love by obeying him in all things and by seeking in all ways to lead others to obey him. I praise him. I adore him. I love him. My whole being is his for time and eternity. I am not my own. He can do with me as he pleases, for I am his. I know that what he chooses must work out for my eternal good. He is too wise to make mistakes and too good to do me evil. I trust him. I trust him. I trust him. That's a life that has been radically affected by this holy love of God, this uh, selflessness, this radical, uh, just completely open devotion to him. What more could he give me? You know, there's that language of like, he's given me everything I need. And the last thing I want to finish with is actually connected to a scripture we already shared, the Second Timothy passage, which again is this like foundational piece for uh, what we believe about the Bible, you know, that scripture, all scripture is God breathed. Mm. This comes from Second Timothy 4, verse 1. Uh, and I think um, we can't just read that passage we read earlier without reading this one as well, because it points to uh, what it means then to believe that all scripture yeah. is God breathed. And we will finish here. So uh, Paul writes to Timothy, I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the message. Be ready whether it is convenient or not. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and instruction. For there will be a time when people will not tolerate sound teaching. Instead, following their own desires, they will accumulate teachers for themselves because they have an insatiable curiosity to hear new things, just to hear what's new. And they will turn away from hearing the truth. But on the other hand, they will turn aside to myths. You, however, be self-controlled in all things. Endure hardship. Do an evangelist's work. Fulfill your ministry. For I'm already being poured out as an offering, and the time for me to depart is at hand. I have completed well. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, the crown of righteousness is reserved for me. The Lord, the righteous judge, will award it to me in that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have set their affection on his appearing. What a reward we have awaiting us, Yeah, you know? Um, I just finish with that charge because I want everyone listening to receive that as Paul's charge for you, mm-hmm. to be committed to this word, to yeah. preaching this word, to teaching this word, whether convenient or not, mm-hmm. to not following your own desires, not just buying into something because it's new, because it's trending, because yeah. it sounds cool, uh, but being committed even through hardship, mm-hmm. having to endure hardship and suffering and difficulty because right now, even in this life, we have so much to receive. And then certainly in the next, he wants to give us so very much. That award that will be for us, like Paul in that day, is going to be beyond anything we could ever comprehend. Yeah. As we, you and I sit here and others listen, we have a crown of righteousness reserved for us And so my prayer is that all of us together uh, would receive that crown that day uh, and rejoice to 
in that space, in that place, see, uh, realize before our very eyes everything the Bible had already communicated to us mm -hmm. uh, so long ago. I think I, maybe we should close with a word of prayer. Yeah. Uh, and um, and that will be it. Thank you, Ashley, for yeah, us hosting us. Of course. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, we adore you, Lord. Oh, Lord, you have you've given us everything we could ever ask or need. Father, you, um, I mean, there's really not much for me to say. You have provided all that we could ever want, Lord, all that uh, we would need for our sustenance, God, um, because all we need, all we want is you. And if we have you, who could take that away from us, Lord? If we have you, even if we don't have the things we need to live in this life, we will still live into the next. And so we honor you, God, and we glorify you, and we give you praise for who you are and what you've done. We thank you for the Bible, God. We repent of the times we have taken it for granted, when we have, uh, and I include myself in this, Lord, have manipulated it to say something it does not say, have read it in a flippant way, God, to just suit our own tastes or needs or preferences, whatever it might be. Instead, Lord, may we seek to be true to the word that has been given once for all to the saints. May we seek to read it in community, God, under the guidance of your spirit, but may we also seek to convey with our everything in all seasons the good news that it speaks to us in every page. That good news of your love poured out for all of your creation, God, and to us, your people. That love that can break down every boundary, every border, through every language, into every place, God that love that is the very reason for our existence, Lord. May we be committed to promoting that love, to preaching it, to uh, living into it, to being filled by it, Lord, uh, every day of our lives. Uh, and Lord, may we reflect in that love the very person of your son Jesus, his character, his mind, his attitudes, his heart for humanity, his goodness, Lord, his morality, God. May you make us like him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. That's it for this episode of the Youth Down South podcast. For more info about the show, check out youthdownsouth.org.